walking in a country road And I've been chasing after my shadow Hey, welcome back to the Camino Podcast. This is episode Nobody 8. I'm Dave Whitson, and it's great to be back with you today. Today's podcast is focused on the body, from head to toe. Or toe to head, I suppose, given the sequence of things. During the day, pilgrims spend a lot of time thinking about their feet generally, and blisters more specifically. At night, a different concern is paramount. Snoring. We have all had those nights, lying on our backs, staring at the bunk above us, desperate for a sleep that will not come because the snorkestra is in full effect. This elicits a sort of despair, sometimes anger, that can be hard to manage. This podcast cannot eliminate blisters and snoring, I'm afraid, but maybe it can help offer some understanding. So that's what we'll go for today. I'm joined first by John Vanoff, author of Fixing Your Feet, one of the best guides out there on how to take care of our precious feet while we're engaged in long-distance walks or runs. After that, I'll be joined by Sarush Zaghi, clinical instructor of otolaryngology and sleep surgery at Stanford University. And you can bet that I practiced saying otolaryngology a lot before I started recording. I'll be glad to speak with Dr. Zaghi about snoring. What is it? And how can we stop it? So that's the plan for today. Our feet, our heads, and trying to make the walking a little nicer and the sleeping a little bit easier. So stay tuned, and I hope you enjoy. John Vonoff is the author of Fixing Your Feet, Prevention and Treatment for Athletes, along with a number of other books, and he is an experienced ultramarathon runner. John, thanks for joining me. Sure. Happy to be here. It's great to have you on, and I, uh, I was listening to an interview you did elsewhere where I heard that you've done uh, over 20 ultramarathons, including a 72-hour run. Is that true? Well, everyone finds their sport, and if you love what you do, you'll go out and have fun. And yeah, the 72-hour was the longest I've ever done. That was a, on a one-mile loop, but I've <laughs> oh done... Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, well, I've also done uh, over 10 24-hour track runs, which is around a quarter-mile oval for 24 hours, so quite wow. different from the subject of today's <laughs> interview. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, this is a, you know, pilgrimage is a different challenge. A 24-hour yeah. uh, marathon is intense in its own way, and it's also quite challenging to be walking every single day for a month or so. Very much. So let's start with the broadest question that I can think of here, at least in terms of feet and pilgrims. What is a blister? They're those little bothersome things that uh, <laughs> pop up on the bottom of your feet and between your toes and heels and sides of the foot. It's essentially caused when your foot is moving in your shoe. Um, and if you can imagine, say we'll talk the heel, mm -hmm. your heel bone inside the heel of your foot, it 
So imagine your foot in your shoe. Mm -hmm. So there's a sock on your foot, and your foot's in your shoe, and you're walking. And you, as you walk, you come down on your heel, and you roll forward on your toes. Well, your heel has some up and down movement in your shoe. Mm. What's happening is the heel bone is actually moving against the inner tissues. Hmm. Your skin is against the sock, and the sock is on the insole and the heel counter the inside of your shoe. Your sock isn't moving. It's pretty much stuck there. If you use a lubricant or a powder on your foot, there may be some movement of the skin against the sock, but typically not much. Feet sweat a lot, and mm -hmm. as your feet sweat, your feet become moist and damp, which has a tendency to kind of stick to the sock. Mm. So what's going to move? It's the inner tissue. And that movement back and forth is called shear, S-H-E-A-R. Hmm. And over time, with the repetitive motion of that heel bone, the calcaneus going up and down, it stresses those inner tissues and it makes a little cleft or um, an, an opening, a pocket, several layers down in the skin and it fills with fluid. And that serous fluid is what causes the issue because it hurts. It's something that isn't <laughs> typically there. Yeah. And it may be the size of a pea or it may be half dollar size. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. It's because of that fluid in there, it enlarges. It can enlarge even more over time if you don't take care of it to start with. So bottom line, that's how it starts is this movement. So you have to eliminate that shear, and there's, there's ways of doing that. But heat and moisture, you know, all those things are part of it. But ultimately, it boils down to the movement in between the layers of skin. Okay, so it happens, but we can prevent it. What, what do we need to do to prevent those blisters from forming, that shear from happening? Well, if, if, if I could answer that definitively <laughs> for everybody, I would do it. But the, one of the most important things I tell people and I teach is I can tell you what works for me. Mm -hmm. and what works for the majority of people. But that doesn't mean that it will necessarily work for you mm -hmm. or for you even all the time. That's why I tell people, find what your feet need, but educate yourself on what else you might have to do when what you're currently doing fails, because mm -hmm. it often does. So having said that, you can use a lubricant. There's many of them out there. So there's, there's Body Glide, there's Sports Slick, there's Run Goo. There's, there's all these lubricants out there that can be put on your feet and they provide a little bit of lube between the skin and the sock. So it moves back and forth. Problem is, over time, the lubricant, some of it is absorbed in the skin mm -hmm. or absorbed in the sock. So it has to be reapplied. You cannot, unless you have a real high-quality lubricant and use a lot of it, you can't put it on in the morning and expect to go out and walk, I don't know, eight hours, ten hours, and not have to reapply it. Mm -hmm. But 
lubricants are very popular. I don't like Vaseline because it's gooey. It attracts any kind of sand or dirt or, well, it attracts anything, period. Mm -hmm. And it tends to cake up on the sock, too. And then that can make the sock almost hard, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, yeah, Vaseline, I don't like, period. Mm -hmm. So I'll just say that, too. <laughs> but some people have skin that if they put a lubricant on, it softens the skin, and the skin becomes too sensitive. Mm -hmm. And that's what, personally, I found. So I like powder. So, so I might put a dab of lube between my toes, but the, but then powder over the top of the foot and underneath the foot on the heel. And, and so after putting the powder in my sock or on my feet, I'll pull my socks on and I'm fine. Understanding, though, that powder, if you go through water or it rains and your feet just in naturally sweating, that powder will have to be applied over again, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like um, to use, you know, cornstarch type stuff. I like good quality powders like Zzorb uh, or uh, Dr. Scholl's has some powder. Gordon's has some. So powders are an option. But there's a product, too, that I really like that is beneficial that reduces friction in your shoe and that's a product called Engo E N G O and they're oval small and large ovals and a, a large rectangle that goes on the insole of your shoe hmm. or underneath your heel or on the side of your heel in the heel counter of the shoe they're very slick they're sticky you peel the backing off put them for example, underneath the ball of the foot, mm -hmm. and so your sock isn't going to stick to the insole. It has this very slippery surface to go back and forth on, and those are very helpful. I love those. They're, they're just so important, I think, and so I encourage people, if you're going to make a small little foot care kit to carry just in a Ziploc bag, have some alcohol wipes. Uh, a little container of a lubricant, one or two of the large oval engos, a pin, and some tape, and you're fine. Uh, so that's kind of prevention. The biggest thing, though, is well-fitting shoes. Mm, of course. Your shoes have to fit. Your toes have to have some wiggle room. Your, your heel has to be anchored in the back of the shoe, and they have to be wide enough in the forefoot. They have to be long enough and high enough over the toes so your toes aren't bumping into to the front of the toe box. So let's say we, we do all that. We do all the things that we're supposed to to take care of our feet, and we still fail. We get those blisters. On the Camino, I've seen a lot of different schools of thought on treating blisters. Some people will pop with a needle and maybe drag thread through. Uh, some will just simply cover with compete or moleskin. Um, others will use iodine. Some will just pray for divine intervention. <laughs> what actually works for treating blisters? There's actually more than one way to do it. 
you mentioned Compede, which is a very good product. Uh, Compede, though, it's fairly thick, mm -hmm. very, very sticky. Once you apply it, it's there, and you're <laughs> not just going to pull it off at the end of a day, particularly if you make the mistake of applying it right over this top of the blister skin because if you try to remove that mm -hmm. it could tear that top off so compete's good but cover the top skin with just a little dab of lubricant so that the adhesive isn't sticking there moleskin i don't like mm -hmm. because the typical kind that you buy in your local store it just doesn't have good adhesive quality so I prefer tape mm. because um, whether it's Luco tape or kinesiology tape, um, they both stick very well. They can be some of them, like the the kinesiology tape, strength tape, and rock tape, can be shaped to go around the rounded part of the toe, the rounded part of the heel. Hmm. Um, and they can last for four days, too. I do not use white athletic tape. It has zero sticking power. Hmm. Um, and if you put it on the skin, whatever you put on the skin, Compede tape, you have to clean the skin with an alcohol wipe. So get a needle if you have it. Uh, or even a small scissors, you know, that has a point on it. If you use a needle, insert it in and kind of move it side to side. Mm -hmm. Because if you just insert it and pull it out, what you have is essentially a puncture wound, mm. which in history will seal up on itself. And then you'll have another issue because the fluid will build back up and be stuck in there. So wiggle the needle side to side to to stretch that opening some. If you imagine a blister on a heel, you don't just puncture it at one place. Mm -hmm. And you don't just puncture it anywhere. You want to puncture it where as you stand and are walking, gravity will let the fluid go out. So that means a hole or two on the bottom. Mm. And if you think about the foot strike, you come down on your heel, so that means a hole or two at the front or the back top side. Hmm. So as you come down, it forces the fluid out. So never make just one hole unless you've got something, you know, the size of a pea. But even then, I would make two, even if it's a side-to-side -side thing. Uh, so you squeeze the fluid out. You dry the skin and you apply a little bit of lubricant over the top or better yet probably because this is a multi-day walk an antibiotic ointment hmm. and so then you tape over the top of it one of the reasons i like tape is it's not introducing a bunch of gauze mm -hmm. or a thick moleskin to the foot that may alter someone's gait or how their foot fits in their shoe uh, so that's my thing. I know some people probably might ask about Spenco's second skin. Mm -hmm. um, second skin is good 
for a short time. If you're doing a walk and tell me how far folks might be walking in a day. Anywhere between 12 and 20 miles. Okay, so you're talking maybe four or five hours? Mm-hmm. Okay. You can use Second Skin there. Second Skin is a gel. It's mainly water-based, and you peel the plastic backing off a side of it, apply it over the, over the blister or the hot spot, and then you take the plastic side off the other side. So it, it's a sticky substance. It sticks to the skin, mm-hmm. but it still needs tape or something over the top of it to hold it in place. Mm-hmm. My issue with second skin is if you leave it on overnight or a real long day, that moisture in the second skin is going to cause maceration on the skin. Hmm. That's like if your hands are in water for a long time and they prune up. Well, the same thing can happen under second skin. So if you're just doing a short time period, then second second skin is fine. It provides a cooling effect. It cushions. uh, And it, it can be carried in a Ziploc or bought in different sizes even Um, but just over like a day's time I would not put second skin on if I put it on during a walk that evening I would take it off and allow the the foot to air out and then probably if I anticipate issues the next day in the same spot or it hasn't healed I would put another piece on for that day Mm -hmm. Should the treatment vary by location? In my experience, blisters in the toes are pretty easy to manage, relatively easy to manage. The The heel's a little bit trickier because a single blister can suddenly spread all the way around uh, the heel. And the hardest seems to be the blisters uh, under the ball of the foot that seem to be very challenging to treat. So I'm, I'm wondering if, if different parts of the foot demand different treatment strategies. One could treat them differently, but personally, I don't. I treat them all the same. For toes, I get the fluid out. I make sure I have at least two holes in each one. I put some ointment on there, and and I tape over it. With a toe, I tape one piece of tape from the bottom of the toe over the tip on to the top of the toe and a second piece side to side over the tip. And I pinch the corners, and then I cut those, those little corners off. Um, you can c- conversely go front to bottom and a piece wrapped around the toe. However, if you wrap around, make sure it's not pulled tightly because you don't want to impede circulation. Mm-hmm. If so the base treatment as far as getting the fluid out and putting a little dab of either lubricant or antibiotic ointment is the same for essentially all of them. Mm-hmm. Okay? But on the heel, a lot of people have issues right where the heel counter hits the insole of the shoe. Mm-hmm. So many blisters I've seen on the bottom of a heel are very square on the bottom, very flat and straight. That's because that's where that insole hits. So check your insole 
of your shoes. If I, I would not start this walk with shoes, number one, uh, that are old, but number two, that have an insole where this heel part of the insole is thick mm. or may in, I mean, if it's an old one, maybe folded, folded over. But I'm going to treat it and patch it the same way. It'll be a piece of tape. It'll maybe go under the whole heel side to side and then around the back side to side to help hold that tape on there. Ball of the foot, you start getting a little bit, bit more complicated, as you said. I tape a two-inch piece of tape, and I follow the arc, the curve, around the toes. I don't have the tape touch the the actual crease at the base of the toe. Hmm. I stop before hitting that crease, and I anchor that down. I might put a second piece of two-inch tape underneath that toward the middle of the foot, mm -hmm. and then I pull it up to a little bit up on top of the foot, okay? Not all the way around and not all the way on top, but I, I don't want to have it just on the ball of the foot so that it, it doesn't protect somewhat on the side too. Mm -hmm. And anytime I tape, all my tape corners are rounded. Mm -hmm. So I don't just cut the tape square and then apply it on. I round all corners. But on the ball of the foot, there's something else that has to be done. And uh, I use a tape called Hypofix. And there are several other names for it that I can give you for, for, for your show notes. But it's a, um, it's a cottony tape, and it's very thin. It has backing on it. And I cut it into the shape of a figure eight. Hmm. So it's narrower in the center, larger on the bottom of the top. And I put half of that on the ball of the foot, and I pull it between the toes, the narrow part of the figure eight and end it on top of the foot. Wow. What that does, and I typically use two between the large toe and the second toe, and be and then between either the third and fourth or the fifth or the the fourth and fifth toe. That helps anchor that forward edge of tape. Mm -hmm. Because if you're running or if you're walking or if you're doing any downhills, that forward edge of tape, if it isn't anchored with a figure eight, can roll, it can curl up hmm. and, and pull back. So those fit, the figure eights help anchor that forward edge of the tape down. Wow. But uh, kinesiology tape is really nice stuff, and I love how I can shape it to just any part of the foot. You, you don't plan for this event because it's a multi-day thing. Mm -hmm. You don't say, okay, I'm buying some tape, and I'm going to put it in my pack, and when I need it, I'll put it on my foot. And that's the first time I tape my foot. I really encourage people, do some taping on your feet and on somebody else's feet so you learn how to tape different parts of the foot. Uh, and you learn just better ways of cutting tape and applying it. I actually also use tincture of benzoin on the skin hmm. it helps the tape stick and if you fail to clean any lubricant any powder any sweat off the skin with an alcohol wipe 
the tape isn't going to stick well and it'll just come off. So I clean the skin, I apply a layer of benzoin on there, that becomes tacky, it's very sticky stuff, and then I apply the tape over that. And then once I've taped everything, I'll take a little bit of powder and apply it, apply it over any exposed benzoin on the skin so the benzoin doesn't stick to my socks. Hmm. And, uh, I mean, that's, in a nutshell, that's, that's how I tape. Wow. That's wonderfully technical advice. Um, that's really it's, helpful. It's not something you just go out and do automatically and perfectly the first time. I mean, there's an art to it, and I don't want to say that to discourage people from thinking they can't do it. Anybody can learn how to tape their feet. And it's, it's just it's a good skill to know. Unfortunately, if you learn to tape your feet well and you're out there you know, on <laughs> walk, you may end up taping other people's feet. So. You'll make a lot of friends. Yes. <laughs> While we're talking about foot health, let's just uh, talk about the other common ailments beyond blisters. And for people walking the Camino, I find that they're, they're too very common issues that pop up, plantar fasciitis and tendonitis. And with regards to tendonitis, you know, thinking specifically about between the, the big toe and the foot and also between the foot and the ankle. So uh, maybe you could offer just a few thoughts on each, recognizing, of course, that you can't possibly cover either of these in, in detail. But starting with tendonitis, how can one best manage tendonitis when it flares up? Well, if you... If you feel this pain and you can identify it, it's, it's not a sharp stabbing pain like maybe a bone issue, but mm -hmm. I mean, it, it feels like a tendon issue. feels like maybe you, you turned your foot wrong or you landed wrong, came off the side of your foot or something, or plantar fasciitis on the bottom of the foot or Achilles tendonitis. You know, time will heal that. Mm -hmm. But if you're walking every day, how much time do you have? How much downtime? So you're going to take an anti-inflammatory. Just be very careful in not overdoing it with those. So icing it, elevating it, just kind of protecting the area there. Um, there is no quick fix for tendonitis. It's going to heal over time. Sometimes, particularly with plantar fasciitis, stretching exercises, rolling your foot on a tennis ball uh, or uh, something cold even too will help stretch that tendon on the bottom of your foot. Mm. Take your foot, put it up on your knee, put it up on the obvious knee. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and stretch your toes up toward the knee. Mm -hmm. So you're stretching that plantar fascia on the bottom of the foot. And that's been found to be one of the most effective stretches for that. Hmm. Um, if that develops, you're, you know, it typically bothers you in the morning mm -hmm. as you first get up. So one of the things is don't walk 
barefoot. Always have something to support your arch and your foot. Um, you just have to, you know, you have to baby your foot. You have to take an anti-inflammatory, ice it at the end of a day. If you pull in somewhere to eat lunch and have ice, ice your foot. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of the simplest way there. And then just easy stretches. Don't stretch to the point of pain, but just common sense stretches on your foot. And is, is stretching good for, for tendonitis in, in other parts of your foot as well? Not so much. Yeah. Uh, you don't obviously want to stretch the Achilles because you don't want to tear it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may actually, if it's an Achilles, put a little pad under your heel to lift your heel up some. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's a... a Somewhere a tendon in the ankle or on top of the foot, you're not going to really do any good by stretching that area. It mm-hmm. just has to heal on its own. Let's zoom out a little bit to a couple of bigger picture questions. Um, first, many of those who choose to walk the Camino are not longtime trekkers and runners. So for many, this will be a huge lifestyle change and the training that they face is significant to get ready. So how can they best prepare their feet for the challenge? What are the most important things for them to keep in mind about their feet as they move through the training process? That's a fabulous question. And it's really important because when I've worked with runners at a 100-mile run or a seven-day race that's going 150 miles in seven days in the jungle and everything else, I found many times people spend a lot of money on travel, on accommodations, on food, on a good pack, (laughs) and they have good shoes Mm -hmm. and hopefully good socks, but they don't think about their actual feet. Mm. So several things I suggest. One is, number one, your shoes have to fit extremely well. Mm -hmm. And and, I mean, that means you're not going to buy them at at a... discount sporting goods store. You're going to buy some quality shoes and they're going to be made for what you do. If you run, it's a running shoe. If you walk, it's more of a walking shoe. If you hike or walk the Camino and have a pack, you want to practice and do some training walks with that pack. Hmm. You can't expect to walk 20 miles in a day and now you put a, a say a, a 20 pound pack on your back or even 10 pounds because that even 10 pounds can affect your back and pretty soon your your back hurts your hip hurts your knee hurts your ankle hurts your foot hurts and it changes your gait so If you're going to walk 20 miles in a day in training, what you should be walking is not necessarily 20 miles every single time, but you've got to have some long training days. You can't just walk five miles every day and then expect to go out and do 20 miles every day for consecutive, say, 30 days. It just doesn't work. You have to do some distance with the same gear and the same 
shoes, socks, everything else that you're going to do during your walk itself. You have to condition your feet for what you're going to do. Hmm. And that also means, I'll touch on two very sensitive issues for many people here, hmm. is callus care. Hmm. I don't like calluses because they're typically a sign of an ill-fitting shoe. Reduce your calluses by using a callus file and creams after you bathe. File your calluses down or have them filed down so your skin is almost like baby bottom smooth. Soft hmm. skin is much better than calloused skin. I have been in events where people blister underneath the callus. I know there's fluid in there, and you know there's fluid in there, <laughs> but finding it underneath that, th that thickened skin mm -hmm. is really, really difficult, and you don't want me just poking a needle in there hunting for that little pocket <laughs> that's the size of a pea under this callus that's two inches round. It's going to hurt, so reduce your calluses. Okay, and I mean, that goes for heels, ball of the foot, anywhere. With regard to toenails, that's the second thing. I'm a stickler on toenail care. Mm -hmm. I always have been. And what I tell people is cut your toenails short, square across the tip of the toe, and then take a small toenail file and file from the top of the toe over the tip of the toenail and down toward the tip of the toe. And just keep filing that back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So when you're done and you take your finger and run it over the tip of your toe, over that toenail, you feel no edge on the toenail and no sharp points that can catch on a sock. Hmm. Because when, when toenails are too long or too thick, they can catch on a sock or hit on the front or the top of the shoe's toe box and put pressure on the toenail and what you end up with is fluid underneath the toenail. Hmm. And that can hurt like crazy. So better to prepare your toenails well. And if you're doing something you know, like this, com this Camino walk, put a little file in your kit because your toenails are going to need refiling mm -hmm. after five, seven days. And if you don't have the ability to do that, you could end up with issues. That's great advice. To wrap up, I, I'm just curious. You know, I've found that a key to foot health for me has been buying socks that are marketed as a smaller size than for my feet. So while I typically wear an eight and a half to nine, I typically buy socks that are sized four to six, and they just fit my feet really well. And I'm wondering if you have a, a trick, a secret, just something else that hasn't come up already, because you certainly have offered a lot of knowledge here today. But do you have another trick or a secret that you, is, you find is personally important to your own foot health? I love what's happened in the whole foot care marketplace. Shoes have made such advances. There's there's just new technologies, and every shoe company has their best-selling shoes, and they've got cushioning down to a science. I mean, they're supportive. They're everything from you take out your normal shoelaces and you replace them, you know, um, 
you know, with these stretchy elastic bands. Hmm. They're really much more comfortable than a normal shoelace is. Socks are fantastic. There's so many socks now. Number one, you do not ever want to start this walk with cotton socks. Right. You, you want to use either wool, which I really like, or a wool synthetic type sock, mm-hmm. something that will control moisture on your feet. Because as I indicated earlier, uh, I mean, your, your feet can sweat a pint of sweat <laughs> per day. That's a lot. Mm. So good quality socks. Don't take old socks. Don't take socks with holes in them. I've, I've seen all those stories. <laughs> and it, it, it just kind of, you know, I shake my head. So good quality socks. And then you're doing this walk and you've got your gear. At the end of the day, what are you putting on your feet? Take some kind of uh, a lightweight sandal. Mm-hmm. Or clog, so when you get to the end of that day's walk, you can take your walking shoes off and put your sandal or your clog on your feet. It'll allow your feet time to air out. It's really important if you're eating lunch, one of the best things you can do is take your shoes and socks off. Allow your feet to air, allow circulation to come back. If you've got hot spots off in by taking your shoes and socks off, it can allow those to begin to heal up too. So just it, I, I don't think I have one tip. I don't mm-hmm. know that I would buy <laughs> socks in extra size small. Yep. <laughs> because the thing you don't want to do is you don't want to have something so tight on your feet that it impedes circulation. Absolutely. So some people might say, oh, I'm going to wear two pair of socks. Right. That's perfectly fine. Do those two pairs of socks on your feet fit inside your shoe to where you're, you still have the ability to move your toes and it just isn't too tight on your foot. Mm-hmm. So don't go from wearing one sock to wearing two socks that maybe are too thick. Um, a lot of people like double, either a double layer sock or wearing two thinner type pairs of socks. And another thing on socks is in gingy socks. I-N-J-I-J-I in gingy socks are fabulous. They're socks that have little toes for each, or sock toes for each toe. Mm-hmm. So each toe is encapsulated in it, its, its own sock. So there's fabric between toes. And for people who have toe issues, they can be an excellent help. So, you know, I can't point to any one thing I'd say just buy shoes that fit well, condition your feet because you're going to be out there for multiple days. And the studies that I've read and my experience with helping people at multi-day events is you, you may be okay on day one, mm-hmm. day two, and day four, <laughs> but it's a cumulative effect. And you're going to hit a point where something will happen. And are you prepared with the right gear, with the right knowledge of how you're going to patch your feet? Uh, And do you have the supplies for doing that? Mm -hmm. John, thank you very much. Uh, This has been just incredibly informative. People might be listening and thinking, wow, he must have covered 
everything in the book, but no, we've only scratched the surface of the wealth of information that you compiled in fixing your feet. So if people want to find out more about your book and about you, where can they go? My website is fixingyourfeet.com. I have some tips, some material there that can be easily ex- accessed and, and be helpful there. But I also have a blog that you can subscribe to. And as an example, a couple of the last posts I've done involve overlapping toes, mm. a, a subject that hasn't even been talked about here. And many people have, particularly on the pinky toe, falls under the fourth toe. Hmm. And so that can cause issues there. So I've just put out two posts in January talking about ideas on how to help overlapping toes. So I post on socks, on lubricants. You can search it for any type of subject. We haven't talked about maceration either. So if it rains during your walk and your shoes and socks are wet, how are you going to handle that? And one of the best things I'll just suggest here is to put some desitin, you know, which is baby bottom ointment Mm -hmm. in your pack and just apply that on your feet. It helps control moisture too. So I got off subject there, but (laughs) fixingyourfeet.com and I have the blog there. If you subscribe, you'll get notification of, of every post and I've got material there dating back to uh, at least 2008. The book is in its fifth edition, so Fixing Your Feet, uh, edition five, each one is better than the one before. I also have a Facebook page um, that can be found under the book's name, Fixing Your Feet, so that's... um, I post there if I've added something new on the website or on the blog. Uh, feet are interesting. They're an important part of our body, and they're often overlooked. So I encourage people to get to know your feet. If you've got predisposed things like bunions or hammer toes and so forth, take care of those ahead of time, uh, and you'll have just a better experience out there. And on a final note, um, I'll let you know that Fixing Your Feet Edition 6 will be out this summer. Awesome. I look forward to it. Let's talk about snoring. Now, I'm sure that nobody listening has ever snored in an albergue. But it's worth having some understanding of this subject, even if it doesn't apply personally to you. We have all been in that position, staring at the ceiling, you know, thinking about the person or people who are snoring across the albergue in less than flattering terms. What causes snoring, and how can it be prevented? To gain some understanding, I spoke with Sarush Zaghi, the clinical instructor of otolaryngology and sleep surgery at Stanford University. And Dr. Zaghi helped talk me through some of these key issues. 
The audio wasn't great, so I'm going to paraphrase his observations here and then direct you to his website afterward. So what is snoring? In most basic terms, it is caused by the vibration of tissues in the throat, and those vibrations cause noise. You know, when we sleep, we need a combination of light sleep and deep sleep. But as we go through the process of drifting from light to deep, our muscles become more relaxed, to the point at which they're essentially paralyzed. The throat has a combination of soft tissues and muscle. The muscles there also relax, and in the process, the throat narrows, and then you get those aforementioned vibrations. Those lead to snoring. You know, again, well, no one in the audience has ever snored. That's unusual. Snoring affects a large part of the population, about 50%. It's not always a huge problem. Sometimes it's a minor or occasional annoyance. But in about a quarter of those cases, it can be damaging to the relationship of uh, the person that you happen to share your bed with. Snoring itself, other than being an annoyance, is not necessarily a huge problem. However, sleep apnea is far more concerning. When the throat narrows to the point that it closes, that's when you get sleep apnea. Obstructive sleep apnea causes far more severe health problems, potentially including stroke, diabetes, and other cardiovascular problems. Fortunately, it's rarer than snoring, much rarer, affecting just 3 to 8% of the general population. But nonetheless, Dr. Zaghi noted that when they are first working with a patient, the key initial step is to determine, are we talking about snoring or sleep apnea? And to determine that, they have a questionnaire called a stop-bang screening, and it's available on their website. And what it asks are some basic questions like, do you snore loudly? Do you often feel tired, fatigued, or sleepy? Has anyone observed you stop breathing or choking, gasping during your sleep? And then on to things like high blood pressure, BMI, your age, your neck size, and your gender. Because if you're male, you're more likely uh, to be a snorer. Once they've determined that, well, if it's sleep apnea, it's a significant issue and it merits a whole different course of treatment. And I'm going to set that aside for the purposes of this podcast and focus more on the broader phenomenon of snoring. So let's say it's just snoring. What do you do next? Well, the key is to find out where the obstruction is coming from. Is it coming from the nose, the throat, or the tongue? And to that end, Dr. Zoggi suggested using SnoreLab, which is an app that you can get on your smartphone And it will record your snoring overnight and check the severity and potentially help guide you to possible treatment options. So that's a great tool to consider. Maybe if you live alone, you don't actually know if you snore much. So that would be a great thing to test before you find yourself on Camino. Depending on where the snoring is located or where the obstruction is located, different options of treatment are available. If the obstruction is nasal, it's possible to go with a saltwater rinse of nasal passage, to get Flonase, which is an over-the-counter medication, 
or even breathe right nasal strips, those little pieces of tape that go across the bridge of the nose and expand the nasal passage. It's also possible that allergies could be preventing you from breathing through the nose, causing you to then breathe through your mouth while you sleep and increasing the likelihood of your snoring. This is a common problem on Camino, especially in the spring and summer when you're spending a lot of time walking through fields. So it's worth keeping that in mind. If the obstruction is located in the throat or the tongue, one option is to consider an, what's called an oral appliance or a dental appliance, which can push the lower jaw forward, it can stabilize the tongue, and just overall in, decrease the likelihood of you snoring. And Dr. Zaghi notes that, well, you might find options in conversation with your dentist, Sometimes they tend to be more expensive, and there are online options like SnoreRx that can be purchased in the $100 range. I've noted that I am most likely to snore if I fall asleep on my back, and that's not unusual. And so if you are in that situation and you consistently find yourself in a position where you snore, even though you're conscious of it and you're trying to avoid it, there's what's called positional therapy to consider. And that sounds more intensive than it is because the treatment can be as simple as sewing a tennis ball into the back of your shirt to ensure that it's not going to be comfortable to lie on that. And that will force you to reposition yourself um, in your sleep and get onto your side where you're less likely to have those obstructions. Two other factors to consider are not necessarily as easily solved. One is weight. Weight can be a huge factor in snoring, and so weight loss is a course of treatment. And that can be a slow process for, for many of us, um, but it's worth keeping in mind that, of course, um, that's, that's going to, or it's likely uh, to bring benefits to you uh, in your sleeping. The other is reduced alcohol consumption. And on one hand, yes, that is more easily controlled for most, but if you think about the lifestyle on Camino, many find that a couple of glasses of vino tinto can be part of the evening, maybe a couple more if you're having a good time. And yes, we have all been in that position where we see that group come back late right as the uh, curfew is about to come into effect. You've heard them having a really good time out there and there are a lot of bottles piled up and you know you're in for it. So keep that in mind. It's worth monitoring if alcohol consumption impacts your snoring. The physiological explanation is, you know, if you think back to the original causes of snoring being that relaxation of muscles, well, alcohol is going to help you relax even more. So, you know, reduce that intake, be moderate, and those sleeping around you in the albergue will be grateful. It's worth finding out all of these things before you go. In the same way that you might test out your feet or your gear, your backpack, when you snore, what causes it? And if you can proactively take measures before you head off on pilgrimage, you're going to make the people around you a lot happier. And hopefully, if we're all doing our part, we can make those nights in the albergue a little bit quieter. But you know, if you do find yourself in one of those nights where, man, that noise is unbearable, 
maybe think of it as an opportunity for personal growth. Those people don't mean to be keeping you up. They don't intend to be disruptive. And if they could control it, I'm sure that they would, they would try to. So at least this is how I <laughs> tried to think about it and turn myself into a better person when I am lying there in an impotent rage, wishing that I could just fall asleep. If you'd like to find out more from Dr. Zagi, you can find his website at sleepsurgeon.com. And it's loaded with resources and information that can help you determine just what kind of a snore you are and what kinds of uh, resources are out there that could help you do it less. Your partner will thank you. Your fellow pilgrims will thank you. And uh, again, this is purely hypothetical. I realize none of my listeners snore, but maybe, you know, you could pass it along to a friend. It's a wonderful thing to hear from the experts and to benefit from their expertise, their years of study, their perspective that is informed from more than just one viewpoint. At the same time, it's important for you to remember that at the end of the day, all that matters is your own viewpoint, at least insofar as your foot health is concerned. What works for you may not work for all, and what works for all may not work for you. So regardless of where you've heard it, if you heard it from John, if you heard it from me, if you heard it in an internet forum from someone operating with an anonymous pseudonym, sure, listen to it, think about it, consider it, but most importantly, try it and see how your body responds. For some, pads and tape are great. For others, Vaseline is fantastic. For others still, it just comes down to having the right socks and shoes. Some combination may be right for you. You may find that boots or shoes or sandals are perfect for you, but not necessarily for others. I'm grateful to John and to Sarush for coming on today to offer us some thoughts from their perspective based on their work. And I hope again that you find it useful. But remember, you have to live with your feet and others have to live with you when you're sleeping. So be sure to try, fail, and try better. That's it for this episode. Thanks again to John Vonhoff. His book is called Fixing Your Feet. And you can also find him at johnvonhoff.com. Thanks to Dr. Zaghi from Stanford University. And thanks to all of you for listening. It's always a great pleasure to see that people are listening and getting something out of the podcast. Remember that you can get in touch with me at Camino Podcast. 
at gmail.com. You can always find the podcast at SoundCloud, on iTunes, and on my website, northerncaminos.com. Take care, and see you next week.